Welcome to episode eight of season three of the Bulldog Educator. In this episode, Matthew and I interview Crystal Green Braswell. Crystal is an experienced educational leader in Arkansas and owner of the Crystal Dragonfly Education Consulting. She also currently serves as coordinator of staff wellness and culture for the Little Rock School District. With over 24 years in the field, she has held various roles, including state leadership development coach, academic achievement specialist, assistant principal, and classroom teacher at both elementary and secondary levels. She is dedicated to enhancing student growth and learning systems, particularly focusing on social and emotional learning. As a contributing author of the School Wellness Wheel, Ms. Greenwell Braswell, Ms. Green Braswell showcases her commitment to improving educational systems. She has been actively engaged with high reliability schools, drawing on the work of Dr. Bob Marzano to drive student and school success for the past six years. Ms. Green Braswell holds a Bachelor of Science in Special Education from the University of Central Arkansas, a Master of Arts in Adult Education from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and a Specialist in Educational Leadership from Arkansas State University. While she possesses extensive theoretical knowledge, she also prioritizes holistic wellness and is pursuing her certificate in this area. With a passion for teaching and learning, Ms. Green Braswell uses healing and resilience as a foundation to impact the lives of educators and students alike. In all her endeavors, she strives to leave a lasting and positive legacy embodying the spirit of compassion and commitment to her community in Central Arkansas. Please join me in this interview with Matthew and myself with Ms. Green Braswell. Welcome back. Welcome back to all of our listeners to another episode of the Bulldog Educator Podcast. And we are very excited. I am joined with my co-host, Kirsten. Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm doing great and glad we're here together for this episode. I know we've been on the road a lot, so it's nice to connect. And we are here with a very, very special guest. Um, I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself uh, because you did just leave us for a quick second, but you're back. And who do we have the pleasure of speaking to today? So I am Crystal Green Braswell. Yes, you are. Welcome to the podcast. And uh, personally, um, I find you as an inspiration. I don't think I've ever told you that, but we've we've run into each other in the past at, at, um, you know, in education uh, at Cloverdale Middle School. Um, And so I'm familiar with with your work and how you do your work, which I think is, is, is very important, how we go about the work of, of educating others and, and making sure that we are learning as we educate and do this, this work. Uh, So again, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so excited to talk more about you and to hear about you but i guess first you can tell us about your new role that you have so thank you so much for those kind words let me say that first um but my new role uh, i currently serve as the coordinator of staff wellness and culture for the little rock school district and it we're we're flying the plane and building it at the same time of course um and so I'm doing a lot of research as far as just workplace well-being as it pertains to all types of disciplines. But um, there are two things that I really wanted to focus on and, and we'll get a team of people assembled to, to help with this work. But uh, one is to ultimately our vision is to become a healing and resiliency centered organization, right? Mm-hmm. 
And um, through that, we want to make sure that we are uh, tapping into those needs of the adult stakeholder group. Um, that's so important in this time, especially when we're looking at re retention of not only educators, but all staff, anybody who uh, works with, with students or within the school system in some shape, form or fashion. We think that it is important um, to have a concerted effort as it pertains to the stakeholder group. And so to have a multi-tiered system of support, so to speak, um, to really make sure that we're connecting our adults with resources that will help them to be their best selves. And so I um, don't have a whole lot of detail yet as far as uh, what we're doing, but I would like to just say um, a quick shout out or, or, you know, show my appreciation for the leaders of the Little Rock School District for allocating resources to get this kind of work um, going and understanding the importance of it. So I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, say that. And so, yes, that's that is my role in a nutshell as of right now. Well, and Crystal, I just want to add that when I saw this role that you were you had announced, this is how we kind of got the conversation started and reconnected. As I saw you in this new role, and I have not now in the job that I do, I see a lot of different roles at uh, the central office level um, yes. for different things in different capacities. And um, I'm always intrigued at new roles and how we are redefining the roles in education. And, um, and this role was immediately like, I'm telling you, curiosity caught the cat because I was like, <laughs> oh, I was leaning in and I was like, I want to know more about this. And I appreciate that you're being honest with us, that you're in the process of building it as you go and with your team. But um, it to me, I just want to encourage you because I feel like this role may be defining for educators and schools nationwide so absolutely I'm absolutely just, i'm just excited Listen, for that like that's the reason why you know that uh is it a chinese proverb or japanese whichever whatever it is but you you have to go slow in order to go fast mm -hmm. like i am mm -hmm. so cognizant um of that exact notion that you just shared because i want to be sure as we're trend setting that we are doing it in such a way and documenting it in such a way that it can be replicated um, because it's, it, I just feel like it's the the most important work right now in our field because we've we've paid attention to every other stakeholder group, and mm -hmm. this particular one has just kind of been just kind of left behind, right? And so it's just important for us to be sure in order for the re recruitment and retention efforts um, to be the best that they can be uh, to create workplace workplaces that aren't creators of stress too, right? And so it's going to, it's gonna be hard work. I know this, um, but I also know that it's work that's worth it. And of course that it can be replicated. So absolutely to your point, it's important. And I want to make sure that we are so deliberate with it mm -hmm. that um, people understand that much care went into it. Well, there's two books that in particular that I'm thinking of as you talked about that. And the first one is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And I may be saying it wrong, K-A-H-N-E-M-A-N. -E um, he's actually a Nobel Prize winner in economics. And um, 
I picked him up because someone had said something very similar to what you had. Um, someone that's been in education for almost 40 years that I had uh, just been talking to her and she said some of the same things. We need to go slow in order to do the work that we need to do yes. so that we can go fast. And I know in previous uh, episodes that I did before Matthew and I co did this together, so the co-hosting, um, there was a particular episode um, where I was interviewing Ayeda Kettle. She is uh, the ESL coordinator at Moralton, and sh she and I had talked about the concept with students. We have to go slow to introduce concepts to them so that they can go fast, yet a lot of times what we do, we, we speed things up because we have a curriculum that we have to get through. And yeah. what we do is we leave kids behind, but if we went slow at first and established a foundation and we ignite the curiosity of our learners, once they have the confidence in the foundation, they will go quicker than we could ever keep up with them. Absolutely. So <laughs> I was thinking about those things as you were talking about that, and that really excited me. The other book, um, which I didn't mention yet, but actually Matthew introduced this to me, is the book uh, Rest is Resistance. And Rest is Resistance, by, okay. Uh, it's by Tricia Say the last name for me, Matthew. I just I believe it's pronounced Hersey. Hersey, thank you. Um, and honestly, Matthew introduced it to me. I've just started listening to it on Audible, but um, we have gotten so caught up in this the, this world that we always have to have a to do list and be doing something and moving quickly. And I know that in education, we've started to recognize the need for that metacognition and thinking about your learning and stopping yes. and reflecting. I think the next step is us purposely placing rest in our practice as a form of yes. resistance like Teresa talks about, but also as what you're talking about that we have to start putting in the practice of going slow because it's counter to what our culture tells us to do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I, Absolutely. I love that that's already kind of a focus that you, you have as you lead this team. And honestly, as you lead as an example for the nation of the kind of role we need to have in education, whether it's a specific position or it's a group or coalition within a school that makes sure what you are doing is taken care of with our educators, because you're right, the voice of the educator has somehow gotten lost in all of this. And yeah. yet they're the person that carries out what needs to happen in the classroom with kids. Absolutely. So I'm really excited by that. Um, I the have- person, I have a question. Is it yeah. on script? I hope you don't mind. No, no, no uh, go for it. Awesome. So Chris, you, what you said really struck me about, you know, that proverb you're saying, you know, in order to go fast, you first must go slow. Sure. And it reminded me of a, a Kenyan proverb that says, if you want to go fast, travel alone. Mm. But if you want to go fast, travel in a group. And I heard you talk about your team and working with your team and recruiting your team. So if you can tell, talk to us more about how you anticipate or how you are dealing with the tension of, you know, recruiting this team and going slow. When sometimes that, as Kirsten alluded to, is counterintuitive in the way that we've been trained to be in the classroom where we have a curriculum, we have a, a rigid schedule, we have to teach these concepts. So, you know, for our listeners who are kind of struggling to reconcile, they want to go slow, but also there's these demands and we also have to travel in a group. Uh, so kind of talk to us about that that tension and, and how you reconcile that in your new roles. 
So one thing that I recognize on a regular basis is that where we, our current reality did not happen overnight, right? Mm -hmm. So in order for us to unravel that and to um, reprogram the thinking minds that are around this work, it's going to take time. And the other part of that is not being overwhelmed with trying to change everything all at once. Um, only my sphere of influence, right? And so you spoke earlier about Cloverdale Middle School. Well, my sphere of influence at that time was Cloverdale. And then I, I was um, offered a position um, to work for the state. So then my, my fear, sphere of influence was the state, right? So now mm -hmm. that I'm back in the district, I will influence that district. And with that team that I spoke of, well, there are some people who are doing some great work in the district already. It's just that our efforts are just kind of all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important for, for me to connect with each one of those people that are already, they already have things in place, but actually refining our practices and streamlining what we're doing so that we all are headed in the same direction which I feel like would accelerate the work a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, I I don't get, I'm not bogged down by um, this daunting task because when you bite it, when you eat an elephant, you, you just do it one bite at a time. And this is an elephant, it is. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm encouraged. There are people who are passionate about this work and every day I'm connecting to someone who's willing to help in some way or willing to connect and provide a resource in some way. So I, I remain encouraged. Awesome. I absolutely love that. Um, and I just, the work that you're doing is so important that, I mean, I would, I'm just excited for you. It makes me want to get up in the, in the morning just <laughs> knowing you're out there, you know, fighting the good fight basically and and really tapping into what you know in order for us to take care of the whole child we have to take care of the whole educator and, absolutely and that just really excites me um as far as we know most of our educators that are in the classroom um are somewhat on a hiatus. I know a lot of people are going to trainings and preparing for the new year, but this is a time of slow or rest. And so my, my question to you is, what are some things educators could be doing right now to help them arrive back together in August, rested, rejuvenated and restored in order to support one another and the students that they're going to be supporting? Sure, that's a great question. So um, where it started for me, and this is what I would suggest for others, is uh, the gift of self-awareness, like getting to know yourself so well um, that you know what you need when you need it, right? So your mm -hmm. self-care plan is directly connected to whatever you need. It could be the time of year, um, that shifts what you need. It could be a particular situation. Um, it could be the emotions that, that bubble up for you in the situation. And so um, I think it's important uh, because my self-care protocol doesn't, I don't wait till summer. I don't wait till a break. Like I'm doing something all throughout. And I know that's coming up later, but I, I want to encourage folks 
um, to just stop and, and start taking in information about self and then aligning that with your wellness protocols is what I like to call them, but your self-care practices. Um, I think, you know, don't get me wrong. If you've, if you've got vacation time or you can get away, get away, but while away, start coming up with what your plan is going to look like and then implement the plan. Yes. So Crystal, first of all, I love that answer. And you must have listened to the last our last episode because that's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> about, you know, like you said, about how you incorporate ways of rest and self-awareness as you were doing the work. And, you know, it dawned on me, you know, if you if you have to go to the emergency room, it's too late. It, it's it's an emergency already. And so we don't want to go to the emergency room. We want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves as we live our lives, as we do this work uh, to avoid those emergencies. And so I, I love that question. And uh, my next, our next question is, what, is the, what are the most important things an educator can do for themselves to be fully ready and fully inspired and fully present? Uh, to welcome students for the 2023-2024 school year because it's coming up fast. <laughs> well, I will say um, that it's important to understand the difference between negative and positive coping strategies as it pertains to stress because those negative coping strategies, which we all fall into them at some point, right? Because that's what we, we've been conditioned um to believe that they're the okay way of doing things. Um, I know that anytime I'm in front of folks and I say something like, I'm so stressed, I need a, and they fill in the blank with drink. And it's just, it's just what folks do. But at the end of the day, that's a negative coping strategy, right? And so understanding one, the negative coping strategies, what they are, identify which ones we're using, and then figure out the positive coping strategy that can replace the negative because that negative coping strategy keeps us locked in the stress cycle. It never, it gives us a false sense of um, relief, but it doesn't. It literally keeps us in this perpetual state of stress, right? But those positive coping strategies, um, they really create a release of some sort. So one, um, I feel like understanding the difference between the two, Okay. The other thing is understanding what your root cause of stress is. Um, sometimes we are, our bodies are in or having stress responses because of our past trauma. I feel like it's important as we talk about being self-aware, understanding what traumas we experienced and understanding how to go about healing from those traumas so that they don't hold us hostage. I think uh, it's important as far as that is concerned. And then lastly, being honest um, about the self-care journey and not, and when I say honest, I mean facing the fact that guilt bubbles up because we've been conditioned to believe that we need to be doing everything for everyone else. And then ourselves, we come last. And um, I tried it. It doesn't work. I, I was sick all the time. Um, and I found that when I started doing what I needed to do for me, 
first, it actually gave me greater capacity to be able to do the work that really needs to be done um, because I stopped doing for people and I started empowering people and um, engaging them in ways that, you know, would help them to be their best selves. And so I think looking at those things are going to be critical as far as self-care goes. Well, and I just, I can so relate to that. And, and Matt and I have known each other long enough that he he and I know a little bit about each other and, and our stories. And um, I can so relate to that where I was taking care of everyone else and not myself. And, and in fact, and Matt's aware of this, um, when I, I left the department, because um, we've also worked at the department to get him together in different, or <laughs> different, different divisions, but... <laughs> But, um, I, you know, I had some probably just, I had carried with me a backpack of trauma for a long time, you yeah. know, and just not worked with it. And then I had time to, like when I left and I'm in my current position, I had time to start to heal. And as my body started to heal, it got sick because it, it was like everything, it was like almost like a little switch that said, okay, now you can fall apart. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so um, I I went through, you know, a series of illnesses and sicknesses this spring and I am not a, a person that gets sick. And so oh, wow. then there was the part that I was like, what's, you know, I don't get sick. What's wrong with me? You know, <laughs> this is, yeah. and not even giving myself permission to be, to be sick almost like I had to stop and have, a, have a, like a real honest conversation with myself about it's yes. okay to get sick let's look at what what has happened basically write a permission slip for you've got some things to work through and you need to take care of yourself um and uh so i appreciate you saying that because i think sometimes when we're classroom teachers or we're campus leaders we do feel guilty for taking time for ourselves but then you're right. There's not not enough bandwidth to provide the compassion or the energy to empower someone else. And, yes. And and yes. then I think sometimes we end up possibly being part of the cycle of of um, trauma or um, negative behaviors, not intentionally, but because we don't we haven't restored our own selves so that we can show up full and ready for others. And, um, yes, yes. Yeah. I just feel like I need to snap on that. Like, <laughs> right? oh, no. exactly. And I, um, I'm not meaning really? to fill up this podcast, but that's no, kind but of my, the, it's kind of my truth, listen, you know. And I'm like, as you're talking, at the end of the day, yes, yes, at the end of the day, that is the truth. And if we yeah. can get other people to come to that kind of awareness, we've changed the game, yes, yeah. Yeah, Kirsten, I have to share it. Thank you for sharing. Because, you know, Crystal, you probably didn't know, but I'm actually in early retirement uh, because of, <laughs> I know, right? Because a lot of the things that Kirsten just said and voiced, I was also dealing with. And I recognized through some self-awareness, I was like, okay, something has to change. And back in February, I left my full-time job, you know, training educators um, and decided to take some time for myself and really rest. So I read Rest is Resistance. And it talks about breaking that cycle. And in in this restful retirement, you know, I'm seeing some patterns that I saw in my mother who was an educator. Mm-hmm. And just realizing that the things you talked about, about how we're conditioned to view and deal with stress or trauma, 
it's hard for everyone. It is harder for people of color. Yes. It is hard for women. It is hardest for women of color. And that goes into that self-awareness piece. So the person you are, the salient identities we hold is indicative of how we're being conditioned to, to deal with stress. And it took a while for me to say, okay, let me unpack this. Let me take a load off. Let me sit down with myself, reconnect with family. Um, and it has been amazing. So I, I'm glad to hear that the Department of Education does have a team that's dedicated to recognizing those things and helping fellow educators, um, you know, center themselves and, and, and see themselves in the work and also take care of themselves as they take care of students. Well, and I want to clarify, Matt, that um, you said the department, and this is actually Little Rock School District. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, sorry. No, that's no, all right. Okay. I just want to make it really clear that this is something <laughs> that Little Rock is leading the way. Yeah, Little Rock um, is, is And I want to just give a real positive shout out about Little Rock School District doing this because oftentimes, and Crystal, I grew up, I went to Cloverdale Elementary School before it closed. I grew up that in that part of town and I grew up in those schools and you know I have friends that graduated we moved away but I have friends that graduated from um that you know from that high school um it's, it's since closed down they made open the new southwest yeah. yes uh but I mean they they're extremely successful but we don't hear about any of that from what Little Rock School District is doing for kids and doing yeah. for their teachers. And so I just want to make sure y'all are getting all the credit. Absolutely. I wanted to add one more thing, Matt, before we moved on, because I, I, in my notes, I did write a few notes. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to make sure that, that any ear who's hearing this, um, is staying fluid. Because mm. as you apply your new knowledge, you know, Maya Angelou says, what, what you, when you know better, you do better. As you find mm. something that you want to apply to yourself um, as a better, you know, to, so that you can be your best self. And then you find out six months down the line that there's something better. I want to make sure people don't get bogged down with what they've done for the past six months because it was better than what they did. Right. Mm. And so just making sure that people stay fluid and it's okay to, as you, there are ebbs and flows in this. And so a healing journey is, it can get messy. Like it really can get messy. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. so, um, I just wanted to make sure uh, that folks understood that it's important to just stay fluid and not be bogged down or beat yourself up or, you know, cause we can get into those, uh, rabbit holes in our minds of negativity so i just wanted to add that and i think that sure, goes yeah. back to Thank you for giving that. us permission ourselves permission to learn and yes. um, permission to change our minds yes. <laughs> <laughs> as we learn you know that that fluidity comes to like you you are not the same person you were six months ago and you're not the same person you were six years ago and you're not the same person as you were 16 years ago um, or six minutes ago, sometimes. That exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so knowing that, that we're all in a constant state of change. Mm -hmm. And and our I think that our goal is, is it change for the better? But yes. sometimes in that work to get better, we sometimes have to fall back a little bit and then move forward. And it's okay, you know, for us. To it absolutely is okay. 
<laughs> um, I'll just use myself as an example. I was in administration. I was um, at a middle school as an assistant principal. And my husband and I made a decision for me to stay home for five years um, when my children were small because he traveled and I was in a middle school and administrators in middle schools have to go to all the athletic games. And so I was gone from seven in the morning until nine at night. Well, when you hmm. don't have a spouse that's able to be home as well, that means that baby, the only time you're with them is when they're sleeping. And so we hmm. had to, we had to really look at, take a hard look in the mirror, like, you know, tighten our budget and that sort of thing. But we decided I needed to take five years off. When I came back, I did not go back into administration. I went back into the classroom because I knew as an instructional leader, I needed to have that experience mm -hmm. before I led other teachers again. And, um, and a lot of people think that I went back because I couldn't do administration and that wasn't the case. And um, I made a really strategic decision, decision to do that and I don't regret it a bit. Um, yeah. And so uh, it, it, is, it has made me who I am today as an educator, making that choice to go back and, um, and so I just encourage people if they're in a position, sometimes it's okay to go back to a previous position before you go forward to the next position, or Absolutely. it's okay to take some time off and go into early retirement. And <laughs> Matthew, I'm right behind you, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we're constantly reinventing ourselves and figuring out our way in this path. And um, I think that that is each unique to each individual. And the best thing we can do as a collective is support yes. each other in their journey, wherever they are. Well, and it's important to, um, to your point, to just remind each other that there isn't a one size fits all approach to self-care. What I heard you describe was your answer to taking care of you, which then it enhanced the life of your child. It enhanced the yeah. life of your husband, right? But you did what you needed to do to take care of you so that you could be, you know, who you need to be for, for the folks who depend on you to be a great person. But you also did that for you. And so that one size fit all notion that, okay, if everybody just takes bubble baths or go gets their, their hair done, <laughs> or get, you know, I, listen, Bubble baths are not, now I'm not saying they're not good. They might be good for the people that, that it speaks to. But for me, no, no, no. It's not self-care like for me. And so, yeah, it's, it's just important to make sure that folks understand it's not a one-size-fit-all situation. No. And, and a lot of times self-care is so much different than what we think it is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. um, just sitting quietly and not doing anything. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I'm on the road and I'm at conferences, because you're basically on from seven in the morning until, oh, probably seven or eight at night. As I go back to my hotel room and I don't turn anything on and I just sit there for 30 to 45 minutes, just in the quiet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I drink and I usually have a big thing of water because I'm behind on drinking my water for the day. And I just sit there and guzzle <laughs> my water and sit there in absolute silence. <laughs> yes. And that is great self-care. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> um, a question that I have for you is how does school culture and climate play a role in educator and student wellness? 
and what can each of us do to foster that in our community of learners because we're not all in the same environments but we all can play a role in that climate and that culture that helps with educators and student, educator and student wellness. Yes. Um, I'm so glad you asked the question. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about it uh, before, but first of all, uh, just understanding trauma, right? Like just having an understanding of it, um, understanding it for self, but then also understanding it for people that you're interacting with. People will show up or respond to a situation because they've been triggered. They might not know it, right? And so understanding, you know, what trauma triggers are um, and how people, most often their responses are calls for help, right? Like, I just need somebody to hear me, to see me. Um, I think that's one. I think the other thing that's important as far as shifting culture climate, because yes, it does, it, it, it affects well-being for all stakeholder groups, right? But it's also important to understand the influence of negativity and how negativity can show up everywhere. And then it rewires the brain to look for and crave um, negativity and then there's this whole negativity bias that happens and so we just have to be cognizant and understand the role negativity plays in creating that um, that toxic culture and climate but then as far as shifting it is concerned and I kind of spoke to this earlier with Matt's question about how am I keeping the balance and not getting overwhelmed it's the sphere of influence for me if you're in a building um, or a district or any kind of system where you feel like it's toxic, you start with your sphere of influence first. If it's your classroom, make sure that your classroom is a, is a positive place and a place that doesn't mimic what you are avoiding or what you want to change. Be the change, right? If, it's your, if you're a leader within a district, your school building is your sphere of influence at that time. Um, but at the end of the day, once you get your your area situated, then you start talking to other people about what kinds of changes you would like to see and enlisting those folks and say, well, I want to see that kind of change too. Okay, well, what does your classroom look like? Because then if we have five or six classrooms that we can say these are model classrooms and we can send folks into those rooms, even if it's a department, you could be the custodian and you're the head custodian. Okay. Let me see what I can do with my department so that I'm my sphere of influence. I'm doing what needs to be done. And the next thing you know, you've got teachers and you've got the, the, the custodial lead. You've got a, a, a school leader and you guys come together and say, OK, this is what we want. We are we are our um, practices right now, the change that we need to see. So how can we make this spread across our organization? Right. And so the key is just not getting overwhelmed. We take we in order to eat the elephant, we take it one bite at a time and um, we find people that we can lean on for support. Uh, but understand that it did. It didn't happen overnight and that it's going to take time. Yeah, that's that's so true, Crystal. I, I'm so glad you said that, because um, last month I was presenting at the Office of Innovation and Education uh, rally in uh, Fayetteville. 
And I was doing some research around trauma, <clears throat> particularly the trauma that has resulted from the pandemic. And the pandemic is still going on. Um, but the fact yes. that, you know, both teachers and educators um, may have lost family members, friends, um, the learning loss that students have experienced going from, you know, in-person learning to virtual or hybrid, uh, the stress that was on everyone in the schoolhouse from the administrator to the students to, you know, mentioned custodians. And so those are real uh, points of trauma, points of uh, trauma triggers. And the research that I was presenting on was around, you know, how do we, number one, recognize that process that, and then what are some practices that we can do to address that trauma and help everyone in the schoolhouse kind of heal from that trauma because it's real. And yes. we're going to be bringing that trauma into the schoolhouse, you know, come August um, next month. And so before we get there, um, I did want to ask specifically, what are you doing to rest and rejuvenate and restore and kind of, you know, get that trauma out of the backpack? Right. So um, I will tell you, and this is when I'll, I'll share um, a, a few titles that I've read that kind of been my springboard, but one is uh, Nadine, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, uh, The Deepest Well. Mm. It talks about trauma, the effects of childhood trauma, um, but that's pretty much what changed my life um, because she talks about the ACE study um, and that ACE questionnaire, you know, from zero to 10 as far mm -hmm. as those adverse experiences that happen within the home. Um, and then there's also the Philia, Philadelphia um, ACE, Urban ACE study that added like five more indicators and they kind of talked about in their research. Yes, we respect those indicators that um, are present in the home, but we also want to acknowledge those things like being bullied um, and living in an unsafe neighborhood, those kinds of things that could uh, be uh, traumas as well and so through all of that I learned that my A score without the Philadelphia just the traditional A score was eight and mm. Dr. Nadine Burke Harris talked about how those uh, health outcomes show up at the end if you don't figure out how to heal from that trauma mm. and that she said it doesn't matter what type of lifestyle you know you can lead the healthiest lifestyle you can eat the right foods you can exercise all of that but you still are looking at three times you you are three times more likely to have like diabetes or strokes and heart attacks and that kind of thing if your score is seven or more well mm. when i learned that my score was eight and i was really claiming seven but because i just looked at the <laughs> at the um at the questionnaire. And once I read the book, I was like, okay, I got to go ahead and give in on the eight um, point. But at the end of the day, I am so grateful and thankful for that because what that has done so to answer your question, I said all that to say this, I have protocols in place for myself on a regular basis. So there's stuff that mm. I do daily, weekly, monthly, biannually, annually, right? So annually, I have committed to um, some type of healing, retreat, workshop, something along those lines that I have to, to attend once a year for that. Now, I am receiving counseling 
I've gone to this this past year. I um, went to a, a place called the Green Shoe Foundation, and basically, it is a um, a week long group therapy. But it deals you deal with your zero to eighteen self, right? Mm. And so mm. that was like I don't I don't I don't even know what words to say, guys. I just know that it was life changing for me. So with that stated, going back to things that I do. So I'll start with on a daily basis. Every day I'm out in nature in some shape or fashion. If it's like storming and raining, that's why I have photos up. I have tapestries. I've got a tapestry in my living room of the rainforest. There's a tapestry in my bedroom of Greece. So when I wake up every morning, I see the blue waters of Greece, right? Like, because my brain doesn't know the difference. It, sees the nature scene and so it mm -hmm. feels like I'm out there um so I definitely am very intentional about being out in nature um I was diagnosed with depression and suffered from anxiety disorder I no longer have either one of those um that I'm dealing with symptoms because I'm very intentional about what it is that I do on a daily basis I also practice mindfulness and gratitude every day as far as my weekly protocols, and I'm not giving you everything. I'm just giving you the, the, the quick and dirty, right? So as far as my weekly protocols, the meal prepping, um, I've, I'm absolutely intentional about being at farmer's markets. I'm out at Mia McGee all the time, out on Highway 70. Um, but I'm out there all the time because I want the freshest food and I know that they are going to vet it for me. I don't have to worry about that. Um, but I have the freshest food options and then I come home and I spend about two to three hours prepping the food, cooking it, and then freezing it so that all week long, I'm making the best choices for me. It doesn't matter where I am. I take my food everywhere I go. And then I also, um, it helps me to make better financial choices. I'm not spending a lot of money as far as eating out, right? So that's my weekly stuff. So then you go to monthly. I for sure am attending um, a sound bath once a month um, with a sound healer. Um, as a matter of fact, Embassy of Sound is who I use. Um, and that's just one of those ways that I'm able to set intentions for myself um, each month. And so that's, that's one thing that I do on a monthly basis. And then quarterly, um, I go over to the Copper Well and I have a healing massage energy massage and then also a physical um, massage so I'm, I'm constantly checking in with my energy getting my chakras aligned if i need to um clear that kind of thing like i'm constantly checking to make sure that everything is in balance and flowing the way that it's supposed to flow and again i'm on an annual basis i'm making sure that i'm attending something that feeds back into me, helping me to understand myself better, helping me on that healing journey. And so I am not a fan of, or I do not subscribe to waiting till breaks um, for me to do whatever I need to do to pour back into me. I will take a day, a mental health day, um, in order to, to be able to make it to the next mental health day right? Because I wasn't at first, I was not taking off work ever. And I was ending up sick on the breaks. Every break, I was sick. Like the very first day, it, was, it never failed. Then 
I got to a point that not only was I sick on break, but I would have to take, I would get so sick that I would have to take five or six days off from work at a time just to be able to, you know, to get back to work. And so I have been, I, I kind of call myself a little mini um, research project, action research project, right? And so with that being said, um, I've noticed the trend is now that I'm not sick. I, I'm, I'm more well than sick. I, I don't, I don't know when the last time I was sick, um, but it's because I have all of these things in place. I'm constantly checking in with myself. And so if I can leave the listeners with anything, I think it's important for you to understand who you are, what you need, and then put the plan write the plan and put it in, into action so that you can be your best self so that you can inspire and empower people to do that same work. I absolutely love that last part where you say you need to know who you are, what you need, and then write your plan. Um, and that plan being how you are going to continue to reconnect with yourself and heal yourself. And I, I so I hear so much of what you say and I feel like that there were probably some places that we were leading parallel lives um, mm. before I left the department um, I, my grant switched from two different locations and when my grant switched locations um, I had to negotiate taking my days with me because they had different policies and things like that mm. um, and I transferred 60 plus days wow yeah and i had only you weren't taking no i wasn't <laughs> taking any days i was not taking days and um when i left the department itself i left um i you know i wasn't there long enough i left probably 40 days that were never mm. taken wow what what did that benefit me and then you know as you know what i talked about i got sick this spring several times and it was because i hadn't been taking those days and really was i really well or was i telling myself i was well enough absolutely that's what you were telling yourself because we've been conditioned to believe that we yes. suck it up and we get on to work yeah and that's just it yes. <laughs> absolutely and so um I, I love that because so often we talk, we think about who we are in relate to, relation to our work, not who we are. And then we think about what we need, but we think about it in relation to work. And then we write our plan for work, but we don't do the same for ourselves and our whole person. That's and right. I, I think that's one of the messages that I guess the cautionary tale coming from myself. And it sounds like I don't want to speak for you, but I think you were kind of telling a cautionary tale too. You have to know who you are and you're, you're not identified through your job. Your That's job right. does not identify you because, no. and, and so you need to know who you are as an individual outside of that and then determine what you need outside of that. And then your plan that you write needs to be outside of your job because your job is not how you define yourself. That's right. I can agree with that. <laughs> so I, I want—I guess I wanted to re-emphasize that to our listeners um, and clearly restate what you've said because it's something that I know, 
but I need to hear it again and again and again. Sure. Because as we said before, our culture and the, the society that we live in tells us differently tells us we are defined by our jobs. We are yes. defined about how we show up every day at work and the plan we write for work, but it doesn't say how how do you define yourself and then show up present with this is who I am and this is how I impact people through this opportunity called a job. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we finish here, I wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to add to this conversation. Um, and Matt, if you had any questions that you wanted to ask Crystal. Hmm. I think you guys have really asked some, some very thoughtful questions and allowed me to share, you know, just my thought process, but also just the process that I use to take care of me. So I think I'm okay. Matt, do you have any other questions for me? I do have one question. Go for um, it. it. It is a selfish question. And no I'm, I'm doing this because my mother told me to be more selfish. Um, cooking is one of the things I love most when in terms of self-care. Sure. It reminds me of my family, my mom, my dad. It's it's home cooking, it's nourishment. It gets me out, fresh groceries. You know, I love farmer's markets as well. And before we started recording, you mentioned something about some cabbage. So how do you cook your cabbage? Because I'm taking notes. <laughs> Listen, so it's so simple. Like I literally, I um, will saute. And when I say saute, it's literally some liquid amino and water. Like I'm not using butter and all that kind of foolishness. But um, <laughs> I saute um, all the bell peppers, different Ooh. colors. I love all the colors, right? And then some purple onion and get that all nice and, and just, you know, your preferred seasonings. I, um, I'm one that is really big on seasoning. I do not use meat um, in my cabbage. I don't, I'm plant-based, so. Um, but the liquid amino, just a little bit now because the more you use, the, the saltier it will taste, but you won't need salt if you use it. And then um, as far as the cabbage goes, I just, I cut it, cut it up into shreds and um, I will take that black garlic and I put the black garlic in just a little bit of water um, because of course, you know, cabbage makes its own water. So you don't want it to be waterlogged and you're ready to eat it. Um, but I cook that separately and then I mm -hmm. add the stuff that I sauteed to the side, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then it becomes this and I can, Matter of fact, on my Instagram page, I have two of them, but the Be Extremely Well Instagram page, there's like pictures and maybe some video of it cooking. Okay, maybe, okay. <laughs> but if not, I can get you that video so you can see it. <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's just really simple, but it's everyone who's had my, my cabbage and I try, I do like to put a little bit of um, some, some kick in it right mm -hmm. i use tony saturates but it's not a whole lot i just put a little bit in there because i know it has salt i really try to stay away from salt at all costs but it does give me just enough kick to make me happy 
Okay, that's what's up. Sounds good. Sounds really delicious. So thank you for sharing that. You're well, welcome. Crystal, since you mentioned it, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, you mentioned your um, Instagram account, Be Extremely Well. Um, uh-huh. If they want to connect so, with you. Absolutely. So one of the accounts is Be under, Underscore Extremely Underscore Well. Um, and the other account is the Crystal Dragonfly LLC. Um, that those are both Instagram and then my Twitter handle is Crystal Brazwe 15 <laughs> and um, on LinkedIn is just Crystal Green Braswell. Well, those are some great ways and what we will be sure to include those in our show notes as well. Um, so okay. that, um, our listeners can come there. Okay. But one of the things I would like to ask Crystal is that um, we will have a season four coming up and I feel like what you've shared with us is we're getting a window into the beginning of a really great thing that is happening and we would love at the bulldog educator to follow up with you in the fall and see how things are going and maybe be able to be that partner in your journey and just kind of get an update as you as you um bring this to light and um with your team really make a difference in the lives of educators and students i would love that And now for our segment of Living in Beta Mode. This week, we bring you a new tool to us and a new tool to education, which is Figma. But Figma has actually been around for quite some time. Figma is great because it takes learning to another level, creating a joyful, creative, collaborative, and engaging space that is interactive. Within Figma, there's a tool called FigJam that's great for group work, brainstorming, discussions, project-based learning. And on top of that, when you're utilizing the tool, you can also embed concept maps with the brainstorming um, ideas that students may generate. So why Figma? Well, it's it's made to be future ready, ready for students. It drives student participation, supports differentiation, and strengthens classroom culture. So when teachers use FigJam, students engage and learning is fun. And guess what? Not only is this a collaborative space where it's where joy and creativity come to life along with the super learning, it's also 100% free for educators and students. So go to figjam.com and find out what all the noise is about. You'll find great information in there on FigJam, which is that online whiteboard for facilitating collaborative learning while encouraging active participation from students. And you'll also see some great things with Figma Design, which is a multiplayer intuitive design tool used by professionals to create prototypes, wireframes, and much more. Add this little tool into your toolbox and see how this can really elevate what's happening both within your classroom and online. Go to figma.com. Thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Bulldog Educator. Please share your thoughts and ideas with us on our social media on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at the Bulldog EDU. You can also follow Matt on Instagram at cast iron on Instagram or Twitter at 
Matthew Caston. And you can follow Kirsten on Instagram or Twitter at Teach Kiwi or on Facebook as, and LinkedIn as Kirsten Wilson. We look forward to um, meeting with you next time on The Bulldog Educator. Episode 9, Season 3 will be our final episode of this summer season. Thanks for listening.